whose pyjamas are these? Hello, my name is Will and this is Exploding Helicopter, still the only podcast in the world that believes helicopter explosions in film are a culturally important thing. Now, back in 2015, you would have been forgiven for greeting the release of Ant-Man with a tired shrug of indifference. Save for a few comic book nerds, no one had ever heard of the character. The film's troubled production had seen its original director, the idiosyncratic Edgar Wright, booted off the project in favour of a journeyman director. And coming in the wake of Marvel mega-hits Guardians of the Galaxy and Age of Ultron, Ant-Man looked as if it might, like many other bugs, get squashed flat on the windscreen of cinema history. So how did it all turn out? To help me find out, my guest today is Troy Jeffrey Allen from Action A Go Go. How you doing, Troy? Hey now, welcome. I mean, uh, thank you. Not welcome. I'm on your show. Never mind. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you to welcome me to uh, my own show. It's, uh, that's, uh, you know, it's nice. I'm normally, you know, it's normally a one-way street. I'm, I'm all giving, and no one's, no one's giving anything back to me. It's a, it's a twist. There was a twist on, uh, you know, the cliche of, uh, of being a guest on a, on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad that you're uh, here to break up convention. And, uh, you know, I uh, I like to uh, get you back. Well, you're a returning guest for uh, the Exploding Helicopter podcast because uh, a little while ago yeah. you came on to uh, help me review Batman Forever. And uh, you're my go-to guy for comic book movies. So, uh, yeah, I hope you don't mind that you uh, you occupy that niche in my uh, telephone book. No, no, actually, I'm I'm totally okay with it. Like, you know, I told you earlier, I'm I'm available for other movies. I do like movies in general, but I, I will happily talk about uh, comic book movies, whether I love them or hate them. And uh, and we joked about convention. This is where, which is ironic because we're about to talk about Ant Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not just a fan of uh, comic books and uh, the movies and all the sort of related uh, products, but you're actually a sort of comic book writer yourself. Yeah, uh, have produced, uh, I've written quite a few comics um, at this point. Uh, my most recent one, Fight of the Century, was uh, fully funded on Kickstarter back in August, and uh, we're about to do a rollout for it on uh, probably in the next couple of weeks, I believe. And hopefully we'll make it available to those people that, uh, actually, we would definitely make it available to those who were part of the Kickstarter but might be intrigued by it, if I could uh, give a short pitch for it. The the gist of it is that it's about performance-enhancing drugs in the future and uh, how performance-enhancing drugs have dominated the world of sports. And uh, our story takes place in Brazil. It's about an MMA fighter who lives in a world where these PEDs have become part of the spectacle that is the sports world. And uh, his, his, his mission is to, like, step back into the ring and uh, do it all natural without the aid of, like, any sort of biotech influence. It's kind of like Rocky meets Frankenstein uh, with some light uh, cyberpunk influences throughout. And I'm very excited to kind of tell a sci-fi story that uh, allows me to create entire worlds instead of just our regular old boring one. Well, Rocky meets Frankenstein with a side order of cyberpunk. I'm definitely on board for that. There you go. Okay, let's get stuck into Ant-Man. But before we do that, let's listen to Michael Douglas take an exposition dump in our ears. 40 years ago, I created a suit. But it was dangerous, so I hid it from the world. My assistant, Darren Cross, they became obsessed with recreating my formula. If this technology gets out... It's going to be chaos. Scott, this is your chance to become the hero. I need you to be the Ant-Man. I think our first move should be calling the Avengers.
Ant-Man came out in 2015. Its main character is Scott Lang, a Robin Hood-style cat burglar who's estranged from his former wife and daughter. Lang is recruited by Hank Pym, a scientific genius who has invented a suit which allows its wearer to shrink in size. Pym fears that his former protege, Darren Cross, is about to discover how the technology works. He wants Lang's help to stop Cross, as Pym fears that Cross will get up to no good with it. As Ant-Man, we have Paul Rudd, Michael Douglas as Hank Pym, and Evangeline Lilly as his daughter, Hope. We also have Corey Stoll as Darren Cross, and Michael Peña as Comic Relief. The film was directed by Peyton Reed, after Edgar Wright famously dropped out of the movie, citing our problematic friend, Creative Differences. Ant-Man grossed over $500 million worldwide, and was generally well-received by the critics, with its humour and inventive set pieces coming in for particular praise. Although the London Evening Standard sounded a cooler note, saying Ant-Man just isn't that great an idea, and the film exists only because the Marvel machine is working so remorselessly through its massive back catalogue. But more importantly, let's find out what uh, my guest Troy thinks of Ant-Man. So, Troy, yeah, what did you make of Ant-Man? Uh, you know, I, I find it endearing. Um, it definitely has a lot of the issues that like people like to lobby against Marvel movies in general. And I, I think it's more recognizable in this movie than I think it is in some of the other Marvel movies. But at the same time, like, you know, it's fun. It's kind of surprised me that it skews more towards kids. Um, and I, I agree with what you said, uh, with some of the critics said earlier about like, you know, the gags are good and the gags are solid and the set pieces are actually pretty spectacular actually and yeah i just think it's a i think it's a neat movie i don't think it's a fantastic movie i don't think it's the best marvel movie but i think it has some charm and fun it'll be fun to see a sequel where they go with the rest of all these ideas that they've presented well i think i'm in a similar sort of campus to yourself because i really enjoyed this movie and you know that is probably higher praise than it might sound because i'm not a huge marvel cinematic universe fan Uh, there there's some movies in there that i do enjoy but you know there's quite a lot of them that uh, I just find very so-so uh, and indeed some of them I just find plain boring but uh, there are I think some some aspects of this film that I really enjoyed I think the fact that it is quite a self-contained story I think I find some of the, the other Marvel movies they're very densely interwoven with uh, other movies other titles and you know requires that kind of wider knowledge to really sort of get the most out of them I think it kind of helps that you've got an unfamiliar character in Ant-Man I think it doesn't it means that you're not bringing any back baggage as a as a viewer you know it is a very light-hearted in tone and has fun with its premise and yeah it's just uh you know i really enjoyed it yeah I, you know i like i i didn't quite know what to make out of the edgar wright peyton reed switch and my confidence going into this movie clear was fully because like i have become a fan of like the marvel movies i was already a fan of marvel in general but like the marvel movies had kind of really followed like a nice pattern of making uh you know just solid entertainment that has enough comic references but also just kind of stays true to the core of the characters which i think gives them a genuineness that is uh lacking in not just other comic book movies but i think a lot of like potential blockbusters it's it's got a lot of connective tissue which i think is nice like you mentioned before you just mentioned how like it's standalone but it kind of hinges on a lot of ideas from the other movies in the marvel universe especially uh the ramifications of winter soldier and it kind of loosely sets up dr strange in it like in its own way and you know just it has a lot of tendrils that kind of like all intersect into this movie which makes it actually kind of a nice uh example of what you can do with an expanded universe how does it uh, set up dr strange because uh, i i saw that and um uh obviously just just rewatched ant-man but uh, i didn't spot that so what did i miss 
So in the big finale, when uh, he goes into the microverse, mm. there there's an element of the mirrorverse in there's an element of the mirrorverse in that like that 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 uh the atomized yeah. state that he's in. And uh, we haven't gotten full confirmation of this, although Doctor Strange itself kind of points in that direction. But I, my understanding has always been that the idea is that the microverse and the mirrorverse are one and the same. Ah. Uh, so like it's it's very much a similar concept i hope i'm calling it the right thing i think it's called the mirror person dr strange but like uh this idea that the marvel movies have kind of always line, uh outlined uh have always led with this idea since thor that like magic and science are kind of the same thing and that you can explain away any type of magic with uh with us you can give any type of magic in the marvel universe a scientific explanation and this is kind of their way of merging those two between uh Hank Pym's Pym particles and what he tapped into and what Stephen Strange uh, taps into in Doctor Strange later in the film. When, when you first started speaking about Ant-Man, you mentioned that the that the film had some of the regular criticisms or regular flaws that uh, people throw against uh, Marvel movies. I just wondered what were what were those that uh, that you were alluding to? Um, well, I mean, uh, definitely there's the uh, criticism of like how the bad guy is like a uh, a almost a mirror image of uh, like the Eve, the dark mirror image of like the hero. I've always kind of found that argument to be kind of a little suspect <laughs> because like I can't think of any movie where the villain and the hero aren't like kind of like just polar opposites and kind of reflect each other in a uh, light and dark sort of way. You know, I'll even go as far as to say that, like, you know, you can make the argument that, okay, Hans Gruber, John McClane, right? Like, John McClane is a blue-collar guy, and Hans Gruber is, like, this elitist, you know? And, like, they are both, like, kind of, like, thrust into the scenario. But, like, at the same time, like, they kind of play off each other's differences, but also reflect each other in, like, their own weird way, because they're all trying, they're both trying to, like, outsmart the other. So I think that, like, you know, there's various levels to that, and I think that most movie villains are kind of like a, a reflection of the bag of the, the hero well i don't think it's just movies i mean i think it is a is a classic device in a lot of storytelling i mean i you know if you think back to i'm a big sherlock holmes fan and you know his great nemesis uh, moriarty is, yeah his great nemesis yeah. is moriarty and he is a sort of an evil mirror image of sherlock holmes so um, i'm i'm inclined to sort of agree with you there and just think that you can't really criticize marvel for right. using a kind of you know a, a classic convention of storytelling no, exactly. That's probably the biggest like criticism about it. And then I've also heard that like it's just basically Iron Man, but just kind of like restructured, which is I mean, you know, I I think that's fair. Um, but I also think that, you know, I think context matters. And I think that like when you're bridging a universe that certain thematic and visual threads are like necessary to get from story to story. And I also think that a lot of these characters were created by two people in the sixties, <laughs> you know, like they were created <laughs> by Stanley and Jack Kirby. And like, these guys were just rocking and rolling, like just burning through like ideas left and right. And some of those ideas are a little bit recycled because you know, like I think uh, Stanley uh, to use a film term and Jack Kirby are auteurs. You know, and they have certain go-tos. They had certain go-tos that they relied on to tell certain stories. And uh, I think that what we're seeing currently with these Marvel movies is just an extension of that. Well, let's dig into the story of Ant-Man a little bit. And I have to say, this was probably one of the aspects of the film that I enjoyed the most. And I think the particular qualities that I liked in the Ant-Man movie was that the the story felt a bit smaller than some of the sort of previous entries that we'd had. So, you know, this was Mm -hmm. coming in on the back of Age of Ultron, you know, which was, uh, you know, world ending terror and... 
you know, here the stakes are much smaller. Paul Rudd is trying to get back together with his daughter. Darren Cross and the yellow jacket and all this, you know, this is a powerful technology which could be put to bad use, but the world is not in immediate jeopardy in this particular movie and i i did appreciate it being a sort of a smaller story because it felt somehow a bit more real i think no no and i think that's i think that's valid like i mean i like there's a certain amount of like receptiveness that like you know these movies have to have like i think there's a line but i think there's a certain amount of receptiveness that these movies have to have and like clearly marvel has or kevin feige or whoever you want to credit for that had heard people's criticisms about all the world ending city shattering uh climaxes and went in a different direction with it and you know look world ending city shattering climaxes are fine for like you know these big team movies but just like with spider-man homecoming that doesn't have to be the case with some of these single these solo adventures with some of these characters and yeah and actually i find it kind of amusing that because the character is small literally they have fun with that idea that like they can destroy a lot of things Mm. but it's all about scale (laughs) like there's literally there's literally a scene where like i think they destroy a miniature that is supposed to be a miniature of the building that they're in and it's uh actually like the 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 joke is and actually uh if i remember correctly the soundtrack actually calls it a center for ants which is actually a pull from zoolander um (laughs) but like uh yeah like uh, basically they destroy this entire center but it's just a miniature and but ant Ant-Man is like, you know, scaled small. So it's like it's pretty much a, a destroying a city building. But they just play off of these ideas and have fun with it. And they do the same thing again later with uh, the Child's Playroom. Yeah, that was a great scene. The the Child's Playroom scene. I really enjoyed that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was not familiar with the Ant-Man character before coming into this movie. And I think that I don't know the, the sense I have is it kind of freed up, you know, Marvel, the producers of this movie to play with this one a bit more. And it feels like it allows them to take a few more risks um, which is a, perhaps an interesting thing to say given that uh, you know a director did get fired off of this project um, <laughs> for perhaps wanting to take too many risks but I don't know it does feel like you know this one came after Guardians of the Galaxy which was a bit of a one which played a bit with the, the usual tone that the Marvel movies makes and this one feels mm-hmm. like again like another one where they're sort of stretching or pushing what they can do and it's interesting that we're now talking about this one in the wake of Thor Ragnarok which is I think almost feels like they dipped their toe in the water with this movie with Guardians of the Galaxy and then with Thor Ragnarok they felt okay you know what we really can give a director we can just give him his head to play with all the toys in the box no absolutely I think like I, I I'm just guessing here but I think like their strategy was largely like let's create a base where we have like the boundaries of the Marvel universe, which I think is important. You got to create the rules of the world that these characters are going to live in. And now that uh, we've got, now that we're something ridiculous, like what, like a 17 movies in or something like that, um, they can start playing with them. And I, I think that that might be the, the, the misunderstanding about the comics themselves too, is that like, despite what maybe some grumpy fanboys might say, comics are very fluid. And the stories that like are being told, I should say specifically superhero comics are very fluid. And so the stories that are being told can, with one particular character, can be dark, they can be light, they can be funny, they can be, you know, you can take a, a, a sci-fi character and put them in a fantasy story, you can take a fantasy character and put them in a horror story. Like they, like these things have been around so long that you can kind of do a lot of different things genre-wise. And I know that some people, actually another criticism uh, against the Marvel Universe movies in the wake of Guardians uh, has been that the movies have been too funny but again if you have stuck around and read some of these comics for a longer period of time um you'll realize that you know stanley 
tended to like do like winks and nods and even break the fourth wall in the middle of stories to kind of like, you know, joke with the reader. And there have always been, especially since these characters have been, again, since these characters have been around so long, uh, there have been entire issues that have been like a complete and total departure from sci-fi horror or action and have just been about comedy. So again, so this is very much still in step with uh, the source material. Like it's not a departure. One of the things that surprised me is about, surprised me about Ant-Man, uh, rewatching it was like how many polls are really actually from the comic because there's a lot of uh pseudoscience and a lot of character relationships that lean heavily on this character's history in the comic books which i think is kind of interesting i think the big one i don't know if you want to get into that just yet i know we're going to talk about this but uh the hank pym uh hank pym's the difference between hank pym in the comic versus hank pym in the uh movie well let's get into uh the whole hank pym issue now um so okay hank pym's big or one of his big moments is a he created ultron so there's a huge difference from the comics in that regard but like this other thing is uh, well and he also was one of the founding members of avengers and that's a major departure from the comics yeah but uh the other idea here is that like uh he he kind of he he backhanded his wife in like in the 70s i want to say <laughs> and so and that has been a, a a a a character moment that has like has marked that character for decades uh because it kind of it created a schism between him and the other Avengers members and pegged him as a domestic abuser. And he's also long had an inferiority complex because of that. And so and also kind of a superiority complex too, which is kind of interesting. Like these characters are deliberately flawed. And the 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 moment that he smacked his wife Janet, which she was teased in this movie, of course doesn't make it into this film and for obvious reasons. I can understand why you probably wouldn't put that in, in the in a movie. But like the idea that like he's easily ruffled. He clearly has a, a bit of an inferiority complex, especially when they when uh, they drop mention of Tony Stark in the film. And he's kind of like an angry dude <laughs> throughout the course of this film. And one of the moments that uh, I know that uh, some people had issue with is his relationship with his daughter, Hope, uh, Evangeline Lilly, and how he's constantly suppressing her ability to get into the action, even though she gets in, she gets involved in the action in the movie itself. And uh, the movie kind of outlines that it's because of what happened to his wife. But I think that there's also another component of this, which is like there's a bit of benevolent sexism involved in Hank's actions throughout the story in the movie. And I think that that in itself, uh, combined with the inferiority complex and his treatment of his daughter, is really actually in step with the character's comic book groups. And I, I find that kind of fascinating that they were able to take an aspect of that. And apply it to the script. To apply it to the script, and Michael Douglas plays that perfectly. Yeah, I think that's really fascinating. They were able to like not use that particular moment from the comics, but actually find a moment where he's like, you know, he's got some rage issues, mm. and like we see him kind of, uh, we see him. I can't think of the proper word, but like he basically like uh, slams a guy's head in, into a desk early on in the movie, very early in the movie. He definitely punches that guy later on in the movie. <laughs> and, um, you know, he's just barking at people the entire time because he's just like this ball of anger all the time because he feels slighted by everybody. And that really plays into like his relationship with the Avengers in the, in the comics and his relationship with everybody in the comics, really. He's just this this angry, bitter, bitter old man. <laughs> 
And uh, what did you make of the action sequences? We've spoken a little bit about some of them. So there's a sort of, a, you know, there's a great scene where Ant-Man sort of first tries on the on the suit. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, I really loved the climax of this movie, the, the big playroom sequence. I thought, oh, yeah. it was, I thought it was fun. I thought it was imaginative. I thought it was creative. It was it's definitely uh, sort of one of the most enjoyable moments uh, in the entire movie for me. No, I think the the movie kind of surprised me with the the number of just inventive uh, set pieces, and I think this is actually one of the things that Marvel excels at. That uh, you know, I just saw the Justice League movie, and like I think it kind of has the opposite uh, effect, which is that like you know we have this laundry list of powers that like have a, a, a that are overly detailed in the comics constantly, but how can we take all that detail and apply it to different scenarios? And I think th- these Marvel movies kind of do that really well. They don't just say, oh, this guy can punch through walls and like you know that's you know and so we'll just do a bunch of scenes where he just runs through bricks every five seconds or anything like that they kind of find like neat interesting like creative and inventive ways to kind of utilize their powers i think like you know for example like some of the training sequences where he just has to leak through a keyhole yeah just like and you know just also just like the really simple stuff like there's a lot of like so I think intentional references to Inner Space and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And I think it's called Inner Space. Is that the Rick Moranis movie? Yeah, that's right. right? Yeah, yeah. I don't, um, Rick, I don't and, think Rick Moranis is in it. That's Martin Short, isn't it, Inner Space? Martin Short's in Inner Space, that's right. And, like, I, I just like how they play, they, they, they do what a lot of those movies did, which is, like, they find ways to turn that gimmick into story devices and just cool sequences. Like, you know, the stuff with Tom's The Tank Engine. Um, there's that really great bit. Uh, I think it's with uh, the Depeche Mode song where they're like both trapped in a briefcase, like just hurtling to the ground. And that in itself is actually really cool. I think there's a uh, there's also just like the the added uh, humor of seeing like these small things just just destroy everything. <laughs> like, you know, I think that, um, I don't want to talk too much about the helicopter sequence. There's but there's a bit that I actually forgot about that I was watching before when I was watching it before where like Yellowjack is firing lasers just to try to like nail scott and he takes out two of the pilots <laughs> like just murders them and uh, i think there's another cool bit uh which is hilarious uh where uh yellow jacket charges a scott like you know mm. small size and scott is like full size and he they happen to land into like this backyard where these kids are playing ping pong yeah. and he literally swat, and he literally swats him into a bug zapper you know, and it's just sort of like that, like, that's just like, those are just cool, like fun, creative, like ways to kind of mm. play off this concept that I just absolutely love about this movie. Well, there's a very, um, it's only a, a two second beat in the middle of the, the big uh, playroom fight sequence. But I just thought it was a, a really funny moment that they put in where you see this big battle taking place between Yellow Jacket and Ant-Man and they're throwing, you know, entire train carriages on this sort of toy train <laughs> set at each other. But then it just mm-hmm. very briefly cuts to a shot of uh, Ant-Man's daughter and you just see one of the carriages on the train set plop off the off the train track and uh, it was a great way of just playing with the perspective that is going on in the movie. No, absolutely. Like, I love how they just kind of like, they kind of like add little anticlimactic beats to like these climaxes, <laughs> these massive battles that are happening in this in this very, this micro, this, this very small space. It's actually pretty amusing. Well, we've got a good cast in this movie with, with some well-known familiar faces in it. Um, you know, of the actors that are on display here, who, um, who caught your eye as, as doing a particularly good job? Or perhaps who caught your eye for, for doing a stinker? You know, uh, I will definitely say that Michael Douglas is like just... I can't think of 
So I grew up watching watching movies with Michael Douglas in them. Some of them I probably shouldn't have watched, like Basic Instinct, because <laughs> I was pretty sure I was ten when I saw that movie. That movie, or Disclosure, because I was because I'm pretty certain I was thirteen when I saw that movie. I, I I just seeing Michael Douglas just like in a scene just adds like a whole different weight to it because like he's just one of those he's one of those classic actors that doesn't do winks and nods. He's like he's in the scene, he's in the moment, and he believes everything he's saying, and it really does help move along some of the uh, plot mechanics in the story especially the bits where he's just explaining pseudoscience yeah um because he he just he just totally like just believes it which is great i think that evangeline lily is a nice addition i have not really seen her in anything since i was about to say lost but the hobbit so i guess that was fairly recent i remember thinking that Corey stall was a bit of a disappointment because i'm actually uh, a big controversial statement i'm a big house of cards fan <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he's one of the main characters on House of Cards and has a very big role in the first season. But rewatching the movie, it occurred to me that one of the plot devices in the story is uh, that the PIM particles kind of make you a little crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and so some of the scenery chilling makes a lot more sense once you kind of like accept that. And um, I'm always happy to see Haley Atwell for for a number of reasons. And it's great to see her at the beginning of the film, even if she's aged up. <laughs> and um, yeah, Michael Penn is a great addition. Yeah, like I just, I can't really think of anybody that's like not fun. Oh, also I got a point out, Garrett Morris is in the movie from Saturday Night Live. Uh, and, and a little trivia here, Garrett yep. Morris played Ant-Man on Saturday Night Live. Oh. So there's a little, there's a little detail for it. Oh, and then John Slattery's in it playing Howard Stark, which is, I think actually as much as I, I like Dominic, Dominic Cooper and other things, but it's nice to see John Slattery play Howard Stark instead of Dominic Cooper. Well, it was nice to hear you uh, uh, appreciate uh, the work of Michael Douglas because I'm a, I'm a big Michael Douglas fan. I'm I'm not gonna not gonna sit here and and say that he is one of the greatest actors Hollywood's ever seen, but I think he is a bit of an underappreciated actor. I think that he, as you were saying, he always brings a believability to his roles, and he's got a kind of range of stuff that he can do really well. And he's definitely within this sort of role is definitely within the kind of groove that he can work really well. And I think he's for me. He's He's kind of the MVP of this movie. He's got some, yeah. he, he's he's delivering some great punchlines in uh, quite a lot of scenes. And I have to say, mm -hmm. the sequence where we see the de-aged Michael Douglas is amazing. I don't know why we can't make more 1980s Michael Douglas movies just using this technology. <laughs> like, you know, if computers uh -huh. can do this, we should be doing this all of the time. You know, that, you know what, that was a missed opportunity for that, was it Wall Street uh, 2, that, that Wall Street <laughs> sequel? <laughs> that would have saved the movie. No, it wouldn't have, but you know. <laughs> Okay, now it wouldn't be the Exploding Helicopter podcast if we didn't talk about the Exploding Helicopter in this film. But first, I'm going to make you listen to an imported sound file about another show. Hey guys, this is JD from the Incession Film Podcast. Every week on our show, you can join my co-host Brendan and I as we review the latest films that's out in theaters. It also inspires us to discuss a top three list of some sort, and we have a lot of other fun movie discussions as well. It's always a blast. And we also have a show on Fridays called our Extra Film Podcast. This is a show that gives us the space to talk about the latest indies and art films and other classics that we normally just don't get to talk about on our main show. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and more. In fact, you can just see everything about us, including our social medias at InsessionFilm.com. So join us every week. We'd absolutely love to have you.
We're back and we're ready to rumble. So this is the part of the show where we talk about the exploding helicopter action. And this occurs early in the film as Darren Cross is giving a presentation about his yellow jacket invention. He plays a promotional video showing the suit's abilities. In it, we see a running soldier miniaturized, followed by the explosion of one, possibly three computer generated helicopters, presumably from the yellow jacket jumping into each of them. But who knows, because the whole scene is very brief and is over in the flash of a rotor blade. Troy, what did you make of the exploding helicopter action in Ant-Man? So I will openly admit that I totally missed that. And I actually thought the exploding helicopter was in a different sequence <laughs> when we first cute, when we first started talking about this. And I think that like I blinked and I missed these, these three helicopters getting destroyed in like this, 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 this overly elaborate military promotional video. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to, I, if, I mean, if we had to give points, for uh, an exploding helicopter, I'm going to probably have to deduct some points for the fact that the sequence later in the movie doesn't have an exploding helicopter. And the exploding helicopter that we get, while it's a trio of exploding helicopters, um, you know, there's no dead bodies, so it doesn't count. I don't know if I can I don't know if I can co-sign that. Well, I mean, it is it raises a, a sort of interesting question because, you know, it's quite a meta uh, exploding helicopter <laughs> because it's we're watching a film within a film. So, yes. you know, and these are very clearly a computer animated helicopters. So I as a you know, I want to see the real thing be, you know, be blown up. I don't want to be cheated off by, you know, subpar computer grain graphics. Well, I mean, isn't that's the other meta thing about it, right? Like in a movie filled with CGI, <laughs> like. Here's an exploding helicopter that's CGI, but it's dumb. It's kind of watered down to make it not look authentic. So it's just, yeah, it's a very strange thing. But if, if we had, if like we're working on a scale of uh, one to 10, I'd probably have to deduct uh, three stars from Ant-Man because yeah, no dead bodies in an exploding helicopter. And there's a great opportunity for an exploding helicopter later in the film, uh, which is during actually the Depeche Mode. Uh, battle sequence, <laughs> which we'll call it. And they don't even utilize it. The, the helicopter just kind of like, trails off into the distance and we don't see it anymore i i hate to do this troy because i i, I hate being finickety but uh, i am <laughs> just going to point out that it, it it wasn't depeche mode it was the cure only because it was a cure only because there's a listener who's probably screaming at you and me right now <laughs> going the cure and you know oh why don't these do you know do, who are these doofuses doing uh-huh. this podcast so i'll just i'll just i'll just get, i'll just nip that in the bud now but um, okay yeah no, but, thank, uh, you for, thank I, you for clarifying i i i agree i agree that that uh you know it was a, a, a baffling and bemusing moment at the end of this movie that uh you know they have set up this big battle that takes place on board this helicopter the two pilots have been killed in the in the fallout of this battle you know it surely yeah. wouldn't have taken much to cut away from the battle taking place between yellow jack and ant-man in the suitcase you know it wouldn't take much to just cut away and just complete that sequence by showing the helicopter crashing into the ground and exploding and it would have given helicopter explosion fans you know the extra thrill that they demand from these type of films and you know and it would stop you deducting three stars yeah, so it's a seven-star movie. It would have been ten if we got an actual an actual CGI helicopter exploding instead of a fake one. <laughs>
Well, I mean, I, I hate to, you know, I mean, you may need to go back and watch this film again to uh, in order to see the actual helicopter explosion in this movie, because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I, I would urge you to do that because it is quite unusual. I think the only other time we've seen a helicopter explode in this type of way where you're sort of seeing uh, a meta, you know, film within a film or computer graphic within a computer graphic is in uh, the Nicolas Cage movie Firebirds Wings of the Apache where uh, we see Nicolas Cage who's a helicopter pilot in bo- on board a, uh, a helicopter simulator blowing up computer game graphic style helicopters <laughs> so you know this is um, I know it's very brief and you did blink and you did miss it but uh, mm. yeah you might want to go back and watch it again because it is quite a rare helicopter explosion that uh, that takes place within this movie okay I get it so the scale can include like uniqueness and not just body counts and like fiery fire explosiveness. So oh, okay, yeah. I, I'm, I'm down. We're we're about uniqueness. We're all about uniqueness and invention. I mean, you know, perhaps you know you're in a slightly different boat. I have I have now seen an awful lot of uh, helicopter explosions. <laughs> so you know, I'm I'm looking I'm looking for something slightly different. I'm looking for the kind of the different flavors that are out there. So uh, yeah, I appreciated the one in Ant Man brief though it was small though it was uh i i, I appreciated it for being um, just a little bit different so that's a great eagle eye you got there yeah i just totally missed that okay I, I, you won you won me over I'm, I'm with you on it i take back what i said <laughs> Okay, I think it's time to wrap this discussion of Ant-Man up. Troy, thanks mm-hmm. for joining me once again on Exploding Helicopter. Do you want to take a minute to plug Action A Go-Go and anything else you're up to online? Um, You know, I'm doing a lot of things right now, uh, probably too much. But, like, uh, yeah, definitely check out actionagogo.com. We are the Internet Special Forces. That's how we like to, to label ourselves. And Will is part of our Special Forces unit. If anything, he would be the helicopter guy. Because, like... <laughs> Like you would, you would want a guy who's like been studying explosive, explosive helicopters to get you out of a situation on a helicopter, right? I'm, I'm the howling mad Murdoch of the Action A Go Go website. Exactly. Yes, I love that. I'm gonna start calling you that now. That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, fight of the century. Take, uh, keep an eye out for it. As a matter of fact, just keep an eye out for me. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I am at TJA Comics on Twitter and uh, you know check out Action to Go on you on you I'm um, sorry not on YouTube on uh, Instagram and check out actiongogo.com and uh, yeah keep in touch I'll talk to you about comics and movies and you know I'll try to be nice well thanks Troy and if you like what we do then make sure you tell your friends your enemies even random people you meet in the street we'll be back soon but until then keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters <laughs> This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. I had a sensor trip, but I'm not seeing anything. Wait a second. Abort, Scott. Abort now. It's okay. He can't see me. I can see you. He can see me. Hi. I'm Scott. Did he just say, hi, I'm Scott? What are you doing here? First off... I'm a big fan. Appreciate it.
So who the hell are you? I'm Ant-Man. 